uh, we wouldn't want to listen to it probably before we did the podcast because we'd get in a weird no, mood. No, it'd be a super weird. It mood. wouldn't be Tool. Never mind. I'm totally retracting that. Tool. You like Tool? It would be You're a Tool lo- fan. You know, I I really I, do like Tool a lot. However, I get in a very baby seal killing mood, <laughs> like with too much Tool. You know, where I'm like, this is definitely going at the beginning of the episode. Breathe fire. And- <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. All right, Nick, occasionally I will have clients ask me for um, like reading homework to kind of supplement therapy in a way. Um, in addition to like the the stuff we're going over in therapy, they'll ask, Kate, do you have anything I can read to uh, study and to, to keep this kind of fresh in my mind? Um, which is usually kind of their way of, I think, asking for self-help kind of material related to what we'll be doing in therapy or, or material related to our therapy. What are some books or self-help material that you recommend frequently to clients or that you think are especially noteworthy? Um, so there's a, there's a couple. In terms of what I recommend to clients, um, there's a few. There's a book called um, The Assertiveness Workbook, which is awesome. It's by far the best thing I've ever read on assertiveness. Um, really good. The Mindful Way Through Depression is a really one of my favorite um books in relation to depression um there's a book called don't shoot the dog which is it's written by a woman who's a, she's actually a professional dolphin trainer um but really? she writes about um how kind of like the laws and rules of behavior it's almost like it's almost like a like if people ever watched um the dog whisperer you know like cesar milano mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of laws of behavior that apply just as well to animals as to humans. So things like re- positive reinforcement and punishment. And so she talks about how you can apply, understand and apply all these rules to everything from, um, you know, why you tend to get grouchy at sometimes during the day to your roommate leaving their clothes on the floor <laughs> all the time and how you can use behavioral techniques to manipulate them to stop, to shape alternative <laughs> behaviors that are more conducive to mutual happiness. <laughs> okay. Um, so those are some good ones that I often recommend to clients. Um, but I would prefer to talk about some of my own favorite self-help books ah. that I really enjoy. Um, but these are, aren't ones you'd necessarily recommend to clients? Um, I do sometimes, but they're not, they're not specific to like traditional mental health struggles. I see. So they're not related necessarily to anxiety or depression or, um, communication issues necessarily. Um, okay. But they are, um, they are, they are very, they were very influential to me. Um, Ooh, I like this. I like this. Yeah. Yep. Keep it's going. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, okay yeah. place to go. I think we've both switched up this topic a little mm. bit. So. Okay. Okay. We're going to not talk about our clients and talk about ourselves instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the first one I want to talk about um, just a little bit is called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Okay. Um, the author is Cal Newport. He's a really interesting guy. Uh, he's a computer scientist. Um, but the, the, the gist of this book is it sort of takes on the, the idea that following your passion 
is a is good advice for deciding what you want to do with a, a job or a career or even kind of the rest of your life. Um, so this is kind of a common idea that, well, what should I do with my life? Well, you know, figure out what you're really passionate about and then build a career around that. So if you, you know, if you really like helping people, um, you know, become a doctor or a therapist, you know, or if you really like numbers, be, you know, become an accountant, or if you really love traveling, become a tour, I don't know, whatever. Um, and what he says is this is actually really terrible advice. Um, and the main reason is very few people are born or even enter early adulthood with an established passion. Very true. True passion, he says, usually comes from mastery. So when you get really good and skilled and adept at something, passion tends to follow that. So he says, um, he he poses this question of how do, he looks at different people and kind of case studies and says, um, how do people end up loving what they do? And our, the cultural idea that's kind of floating around there is that they, people get in touch with what they really love, their passion, and then they choose a career based on that. And he says for, for the vast majority of people, that's bogus. Most people don't know what they really are passionate about until they build up skill and ability and talent and kind of, um, yeah, adeptness in a particular area. Which is an interesting idea because what we hear a lot in like media culture, pop culture, I guess, is almost the opposite. Pursue your passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what he says is people, a lot of people have interests, you know, when you, when you grow up, things are interesting and, and those are important to kind of take note of. Um, but that's a very different thing than like genuine passion. Like when you find someone who really has a passion for something, that almost never is something you're just born with or you, you, you get, you know, you have a sudden insight while you're backpacking around Southeast Asia. Like it doesn't happen that way. Like passion is slowly cultivated over time. It, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of like deliberate attention. And so his idea is if, if you want to find a career or a job or a profession um, that you really love and feel passionately about you the place to start is in building up skills and talent and experience and then let passion you know kind of grow from there but don't expect to find your passion first he says this is kind of a recipe for disappointment and people choosing fields that are ultimately not conducive to to what they want or to their their proclivities, and so they end up being kind of miserable. So the the author's point then, in a way, is if you if you pursue passions first, you're you're putting the cart before the horse, so to speak. Yeah, he says he basically says passions don't even exist. Really, what we think of as passions are not really, you know, a a thirteen year old. It's almost impossible for a thirteen year old to have a passion because you just don't have enough life experience and. Uh, yeah, experience and skill and, um, and development. Like you need, it takes time and effort and experience with the world to, to cultivate a passion. Like a passion doesn't just appear, like it grows. Right. And so he thinks we, we think about this totally backwards and it ends up, um, the result is a lot of people end up in really unhappy or unsatisfying um, careers. Mm-hmm. So what's the author's um, 
I guess, driving point here in this book. So the, the solution, he says, is what he calls the, uh, he calls the craftsman mindset. And what that means is any, any really good craftsman, they are, they're very concerned about the outcome. So if you're a, um, I don't know, if you're a, let's say you make guitars, you like build guitars mm-hmm. or, you, or you build cars, you know, you, you rebuild old cars. Um, they're concerned with the outcome. You know, they want a car that looks really nice. Um, but they also are kind of, they've spent so much time and put in so much effort refining their craft that they're in love with the process too. And that's tends to be a key element in passion is people who are passionate. They don't just do it for the outcome. They do it for the process itself, but that only comes from investing a lot of time and energy and effort into learning like the, the nitty gritty details of something. Interesting. So I think it's, it's a re it's, I think it's, it's interesting and probably helpful for just about anyone, but it's especially helpful. I think for like young, if you're like late teen college twenties, like, and you're kind of struggling with this question of like, what do I do with my life? Which is a pretty natural struggle. This is a really counterintuitive, but I think very helpful perspective to get some exposure to. Yeah. I I like the idea and, and it, and it, um, Reminds me of a conversation we've had, I think, on this podcast about like motivation. Um, that you, you get motivation by doing things. You don't. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have motivation to do things. So, it's kind of that same yeah, a very approach similar of like dynamic. you'll find your passion as you work and, and explore and, and practice and right. hone a skill. It's not going to be there, and then you go do all this right. stuff. Yeah, right. yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so yeah. And what was the name of it again? So good they can't ignore you. It's actually a line from um, Steve Martin. I think in his autobiography he uses this line. Someone was talking about it, like how did you get to where you were, and he said that the mindset he adopted was, "I'm not going to expect that other people are just going to give me great jobs. Like I have to become so good that people can't help but notice me and want me to be a part of whatever they're doing." Oh, I like that. So so good they can't ignore you. That's good. Yeah. All right, what do you got? All right. Well, one of my recent books that I've just enjoyed reading, and I've recommended it to a couple people as well, um, but that has, I like it, I think, because it, it so closely follows the tenets of the type of therapy I like to practice. And I'm not going to, um, <laughs> the title con- uh, contains the F word, so I'm not going to say that necessarily, but it's called Unf yourself, basically, and it's by Gary John Bishop. Um, so it's U N F U, and then like a uh, asterisk K. Um, but I, I like it because it he he very clearly kind of outlines that through our lives we can develop kind of a um, narrative about ourselves, basically, and that oftentimes those narratives introduce limits to our lives, not, um, opportunities sometimes. Um, so we've all have that inner voice that sneaks up and says, we're not good enough. And Mm -hmm. here's why things don't work for me. And here's why I shouldn't try this. You know, I'm afraid of this outcome or whatever it is. But the, the author really kind of clearly states that, um, that these patterns of thought sometimes can be unnoticed and unchallenged a lot. And that by challenging those thoughts, you can access goals, 
improve your life in ways maybe that you hadn't considered before. Um, the other part that I really like is he really talks a lot about doing, doing things. It's not just about pernicious kind of thought patterns. It's a lot about improving your life through, um, your willingness basically to do or not do certain things, you know? And, um, I I just think it's a really well, it's a very straightforward, obviously by the title, it's, it's not a, (laughs) it's not going to be a difficult read, but it's a very straightforward, um, description of how to improve your thought pattern and behavior pattern so that you can, uh, improve your life. Yeah. So it's a really good, easy, easy read, but I think it does introduce a concept of really kind of, uh, taking responsibility for what goes on between your ears and, uh, what kind of path you're on as well. And I think sometimes we can lose sight of that in our daily grind that, that we're kind of the captain of our own ship and, uh, that oftentimes the thing at the wheel is our fears and, um, frustrations and instead of what we really want and what we really value. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it's an interesting read and, uh, it's a fun read. It's, it's, uh, but it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty good book. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I thought so. On yourself. Right. <laughs> On yourself. That's exactly right. I, I desperately wanted to like really read the title over and over a lot. <laughs> But then I have family that listen to the podcast, and that's yeah. just going to be brutal for their. We got a lot of ten-year-olds listening <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> but I, I'm sure at one time we will. I will drop the f bomb on this. Uh, yeah, but it's a, it's a good book. I, I would okay. I would definitely recommend it, and it's an easy read. You'll be done with it in no time, and it definitely has some really cool insights on change. I cool. Think. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, and I like the. Um, kind of the idea of getting, being stuck. A lot of us feel kind of stuck and, and needing ways to kind of get, uh, kind of jolt ourselves out of stuckness a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll elaborate um, on, on another or the part I alluded to that he really kind of talks about this idea of being willing or not willing, you know? So if, you, if you've got a habit you want to change, you've really got to express almost in no uncertain terms that you're unwilling to engage in that behavior anymore. Or that you're willing to put yourself in these situations where uh, you can succeed at something, right? And and a lot of times, even though we've identified a change, let's say I want to go to the gym more often, right? Um, it, it really only matters if you tell you, or, or if it comes to the point where you're just saying, I'm unwilling to just sit at home and not go to the gym. Like I, I've just got to get to a point where I'm just unwilling to not exercise, Right. Um, because there, you meet a lot of people who are trying to do those goals, but you know, they're really not willing to, to do that. And you have to kind of really get to that place where you're, you're dead set and, and tell yourself that. Like, which, which is maybe part of the reason why there's such a provocative title, because sometimes yeah. we need kind of a kickstart to sort of yeah, shake us well, out of our, I, I think we all get that. We all, we all come across change differently and we can all identify easily like, Ooh, this would be better if I did this, but am I really willing to put in the work to do that? Maybe, maybe not, but we've identified, you know, we're, we're at a particular stage maybe of change that, um, but nothing really happens until you become willing. Yeah. And so the book spends a lot of time on becoming willing. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Yep. All right. Um, my next one is, it's kind of a, I don't know if I want to call it a classic, but maybe like a cult classic. It's a classic <laughs> among certain groups. <laughs> what group? Um, 
tennis players, maybe? Uh, okay. <laughs> it's called The Inner Game of Tennis. Okay. The author is W. Timothy Galway. Okay. So it was written in the 70s, uh, 1974. Um, and it's very deceptive uh, because it's got a big tennis ball on it. And you think, well, if I, I'm not really a tennis player, what's what's in it for me? Yeah. Um, the subtitle is a little more helpful, though. It's, <laughs> it's the classic guide to the mental side of peak performance. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to actually just going to quote from a paragraph from the introduction that gives a really good, just straightforward summary of what it's about. So he says in the, in the second paragraph, the thesis of this book is that neither mastery nor satisfaction can be found in the playing of any game without giving some attention to the relatively neglected skills of the inner game. This is the game that takes place in the mind of the player, and it's played against such obstacles as lapses in concentration, nervousness, self-doubt, and self-condemnation. In short, it's played to overcome all habits of mind which inhibit excellence in performance. Then he goes on to say, um, the player of the inner game comes to value the art of relaxed concentration above all other skills. He discovers a true basis for self-confidence and he learns that the secret to winning any game lies in not trying too hard. Mm. Dot, dot, dot. That's going to be the cliffhanger. You have to read the rest <laughs> of it if you want more. <laughs> um, but it, it's, I really, so the conceit of the book is that he talk. he's a tennis coach, a tennis player and a tennis coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, you know, works with a lot of clients who are pretty good at tennis. But once you get to the pretty good stage, his basic idea is that it's not, um, it's not talent or it's not physical talent or even like levels or quantity of practice or even coaching that distinguishes the best of the best, um, from the rest to rhyme cheesily. He says what, what really distinguishes peak performance at elite levels, um, in any sort of activity. I mean, he uses tennis as a metaphor, but is the kind of the mental aspect of it that really, when you're competing it at peak performance and at high levels, you're really competing against yourself. And the people who tend to win the most are the ones who can stop competing with themselves in their own mind Mm. and just play confident that they've already, that they've put in the time and the work and the practice ahead of time. So he says what, what causes failure at elite levels is that people basically sabotage themselves mentally. And so the inner game is about learning how to knock off all that, those games we play mentally with ourselves. Kind of, I, I think it would be a similar message as the Unf Yourself book, which is about kind of, um, again, the mastery of that inner dialogue and really being aware of the inner dialogue sometimes. Yeah. And, and one thing I, I really like is that, he, um, you know, I think a lot of, and I'm probably guilty of this as a therapist, um, a lot of advice about... Um, mental or emotional or psychological struggles can kind of feel like it just comes down to, well, stop worrying so much or like just be more cheerful, like stop being so sad or buck up, you know? And, and I feel like very few people actually say that, but what's often lacking in self-help about the more mental or psychological aspects of our lives is, well, how do you actually do that? Right. You know, like what are the details of that? And so he, he talks about how as a tennis coach, one of the ways he gets people to stop, for instance, like criticizing themselves in their head as they're playing is he teaches people how to be aware of, aware of what they're doing without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. 
So he focuses on, you know, keep your attention on the feeling of the racket in your hand, right? And the look of the ball spinning. And the better you get at being able to focus on and hold your attention on experience, like what's actually happening in front of you, the less likely you are to get distracted by sort of thoughts and emotions. And so, and so I think it's really, it was useful to me because it, it, it's not just, well, stop doing this thing. It's do this other thing, right. which will help you stop doing this unhelpful thing. Which makes sense. Cause it, I mean, we, your, your attention is a resource, right? And it's a limited resource. Um, and so if you're occupying a lot of that resource, thinking about what you're doing wrong or what you haven't done or what you should do. Or just talking trash to yourself. Yeah. Basically. Rather than just the ball's coming. I have a racket, <laughs> you know, I mean, so he's, he's saying divert your attention to these other things. Don't be inside your head. Yeah. He, he brings up this idea that's, it's obvious, but it's shocking how non-obvious it can be to most of us that you can be aware without thinking. Right. Like you can just notice stuff and you're conscious and you're, you know, you're living, you're breathing, you're, you're aware, you're awake, but we don't have to be thinking about stuff all the time. There doesn't have to be any judgment about it. You yeah, just be talking, aware of it. verbal judgment, you know, yeah. like you can just perceive. I like that. Um, but it's a skill that most of us do not practice nearly enough. Do you think this is what um, positive psychology researchers call the flow, getting into the flow? Um, I, it, I think it's related to that, but I think it's it's different. Like Cheek Semihai talks I, about. I think the, the definition of that is when your skill level is um, slightly or is, is challenged at such a level that it's requiring you to really focus on the ex, in the external. Mm-hmm. So they talk about this with like people in sport, athletes or yeah. artists or whatever. They get into this this flow state. Yeah, the state where their skill level is being challenged at like a, you know, a step above. So it's, it's, and it's just this pure enjoyment of what's happening. They're just super present, focused in the moment and enjoying themselves. Yeah, I th- he would say that's actually, it's extremely rare. And even people who are very, very talented, it's easy to get, to not allow yourself into that state. Right. Because they're not, you're not very good at playing the mental game. Because of the chatter. The chatter. Yeah, I got you. Yep. And like so he, really elite performers and athletes and, and even on some level, people who have cultivated a, a real sense of just contentment with their life tend to be pretty good at playing this inner game. They can shift out of the, like, the chatter and the talking and the, the narrative and just sort of be, which sound, I know it sounds hokey, but it really is like a cognitive skill to be able to just pay attention without thinking about stuff. Yeah. And that, that's something all of us can benefit from doing more I think of. you're right. Even if you don't have a disorder, I think I think a lot of people don't realize how much the inner chatter affects their lives. Yeah. Or that it even is there. Because yeah. it's just kind of the water we swim in. Or that you can turn it down or, with practice. Or alter it. Or, yep. you know, switch it up or improve it. Or, mm-hmm. But I, yeah, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I, I wish we could help people become more aware of the, the chatter. Yeah. And then the, the last point that I think is really intriguing is it, it, the idea that even if you start in whatever, maybe you start as a tennis player or you start in your profession or your school, may, maybe you start with certain disadvantages. Like maybe you didn't come from you growing up, you didn't have a lot of like resources, mm-hmm. financial resources say, or maybe you've got some sort of like, 
intellectual disability, like dyslexia, or you have a really hard time with math or something. What he says is no matter what your sort of disadvantage is in a certain domain, you can actually outcompete a lot of people who come who have bigger advantages if you are knowledgeable about and willing to cultivate this mental game that you can really like bounce above people who started off with much better advantages by being willing to do this pretty hard thing of acknowledging and then starting to work on the mental game. Yeah. Or just really understanding whatever it is you're doing. I mean, yeah. Kind of self-awareness. Yeah. And I like so I, I think that's kind of an intriguing idea. Yeah. All right. You got one more? I do. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know right away. I, I, I get a little suspicious of self-help stuff. <laughs> or things labeled self-help because I think uh, you can find really valuable lessons, inspirations from lots of sources that aren't necessarily labeled self-help. Gotcha. And some of the most influential um, books, um, lessons I've had are, are not from self-help. Um, and the next book that I have is definitely not one of those. It's the classic by Ernest Hemingway, The Old Man and the Sea. Mm, curveball. Yeah, yeah. Um, this book, uh, to me, is is fascinating. And I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't read it. But if you haven't read it, I kind of wonder what's going on. Right? <laughs> There's a problem there. Um, it's a classic book. Everybody kind of knows the story. It's uh, Santiago, who is a fisherman who catches marlin or... Um, swordfish uh, and he's an old man in the book and hasn't caught a fish for quite some time and the the village around him is kind of starting to look at him as a has-been in the fishing game and he's very poor um, but he goes out one day anyway and catches a huge marlin uh, that really tests every bit of fishing knowledge and every bit of uh, strength and endurance this poor fisherman has. Um, and, and so it's a story about um, dedication, perseverance, pain, um, uh, performance, you know, it's it's a it's a beautiful story. Have you read it? I have. You mm-hmm. have. There's also um, a little kid in the village who helps Santiago a lot, um, named Madeline, and he just loves this old man. But he's also very kind of afraid for him because he can see how he's aging, and he can see. So it's a, it's also a really cool kind of love. Um, there's a love theme in there. This this kid very much cares for this old man, and. Um, so uh, Santiago ends up triumphant in this story. But one of the reasons I I love this book so much is that the outcome and the the uh, the triumph uh, isn't what you think it should be, hmm. or isn't what you think it's going to be, right? So, so go ahead. Sorry. And so to me, it's a story about not focusing on the outcome. And being more concerned with finding meaning and uh, learning throughout the process 
um, but not being so concerned about the outcome because you can't control the outcomes a lot of times. Right. Um, and so even at a young age when I read this, I thought, wow, what a fascinating look at something we all become so concerned with, which is outcome. Um, but this is such a beautiful story because it's not, the outcome is so different, but so beautiful at the same time. Hmm. So who's, um, who's the type of person? Is it, so you, experienced this book in, not only as a great piece of art or literature, but in kind of a, it, it had an influence on you and your character and your life. I, I hope so. So it's, it's, <laughs> it was, it served as a self-help book for you. It did. Um, so who, who's the kind of person that you might recommend this to with a hope that it could have a similar effect? Like what type of person would this be suited to in terms of the, in terms of self-help, you know, I, I, again, I think it's a, I I recommend it a lot to people who are tied up in outcomes, you know, that, that for them to be happy or successful, things have to be a certain way. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, when I, when I see people who are too obsessed with, um, not failing, or too obsessed with um, these criteria for happiness that are based in things they can't control at all, then I usually recommend this book. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great story. And, and you know what? If you haven't read it, I'm going to spoil it for you because you can, you can read it and it's still great. Um, Santiago gets this fish, ties it to his boat after just days of, of arduous this is the end of the Challenge. podcast, so if you really don't want a spoiler, you can just stop now. <laughs> you can stop now. You'll miss the big surprise at the end. but Yeah, it, spoiler alert. Right. I'm going to spoil this book. Um, so he, he ties this marlin to his, his boat, and he makes it back into town. And, I mean, he just he barely makes it through his front door and crashes. Um, and on the way back, his fish is just destroyed by sharks. I mean, they get to it, and they – so his huge catch – um, is just taken apart. But what happens in the village is that the other fishermen and other people see this massive skeleton that's affixed to his boat, and they know just by the size of that thing what that fisherman went through and that he is an awesome fisherman. And, and uh, uh, Madeline um, couldn't be prouder of this old man, you know, even though he's got nothing to sell the fish markets or anything, <laughs> everybody, and including Madeline, this kid who loves this man, old man is just in awe of, um, what he accomplished. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But it's not the outcome, you know, but, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely a pretty cool thing. Yeah. It's nice and short too. There you go. It is. It is. 